United States Institute of Peace, along with Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124, now present their weekly podcast. I'm Jimmy Mason. Chavismo. It's real. Let's talk about it. Keith Mines is the director for Latin America at the U.S. Institute of Peace, here to talk a little Venezuela. Hey, Keith. Hey, always a pleasure, Julie. Yeah, welcome back. So give us the Thanks. big picture on Venezuela. What What is the status? Well, Venezuela is coming into 2022 with persistent challenges, but also with some opportunities. Um, I was there in October. Um, what surprised me most, I think, was that in the midst of a near total loss of faith in the political process and political leaders, the Venezuelan people have not lost hope in the future, and, mm. and frankly, they haven't lost hope in each other. So whatever they're going through, they're going to go through it together. Um, I met with community leaders in the really tough Batari neighborhood of Caracas, and it wasn't this kind of pessimistic uh, death and destruction that one would have expected. Uh, they had a lot to complain about, sporadic water and electricity, sluggish employment, hunger. But they focused on what they could do to educate the kids left behind by COVID, how they could reduce crime and violence, how they could build stronger and more resilient communities. So before anybody gives up on Venezuela, I'd remind them that Venezuelans haven't given up on themselves. And uh, so maybe we should take a cue from them. Um, Has life improved for the people there? Well, it has gotten marginally better. Um, They have done a a number of economic reforms uh, to try to to at least keep things uh, on on a a slightly improving trajectory. They've dollarized the economy. They've uh, opened up imports a bit. So it's it's marginally better. They've probably had the best Christmas season in three years, um, but still a, a real grind for the for the <clears throat> the average person. It is, uh, it, you know, again, it's still a place where there is some hunger and uh, and it is just a day to day struggle. So uh, marginally better, but not uh, not not enough. And uh, and you mentioned the uh, near total rejection of the government. How, how are they faring? Yeah, the, the government is not is not doing well, um, but neither is the opposition. So, frankly, people, there's it's kind of a land of ninis, neither the opposition nor the government, as they call themselves. And, you know, they're looking for something else. I think, again, they're focused as much as anything on just the local issues that they can try to, to improve uh, through their own organization, their own their own energy and, and try to do the best they can. But it's, uh, there's not a, <clears throat> there's not a, a faith right now in the, the political process uh, as it's, as it's structured. So there's a need for change on both sides, again, to, to do something to reset and, uh, and change the direction that, uh, that the political process is going. And Keith, what can you tell us about the Mexico city talks? So the talks um, are the most, the most, um, Fruitful to date. Um, They've been through three rounds uh, in the last year until the regime walked away in November. Um, They've been productive, always a bit halting. Uh, There's no guarantee now that they'll restart, but it'd be a huge lost opportunity if they don't. Um, This is, as I said, the longest a negotiation has lasted to date, um, has the highest number of women involved, two on each side which was a, a kind of a breakthrough, uh, now includes an agreement to explore how civil society could be included in the talks. Um, the inclusion of civil society would be immensely helpful, uh, both in providing technical expertise to the negotiators and in linking the talks to the people, something that is, is somewhat weak right now. 
Um, in any peace process, the inclusion of civil society tends to make the process more resilient and ultimately more uh, more successful. Um, and the other thing is the two sides agreed early on on a basic political framework. That was the first agreement that they signed that kind of established a respectful relationship uh, and largely affirmed the goal of, of political coexistence rather than mutual destruction as the, as the intermediate goal. And it would be a shame to lose that. Um, and then there's opportunities in the talks that they could provide on key humanitarian issues in the future. There's no other platform really for the two sides to agree on things other than the Mexico City platform of these talks. They have kind of sporadic ways of doing that. But if this could be established as the place to work on humanitarian and institutional issues, it would really uh, be a, a breakthrough. Um, and then there's one other thing I'll mention that's aspirational, but, but kind of worth mentioning. There's many proposals for peace in Venezuela that uh, that include kind of resetting the country uh, with a joint or a blended government. And that's mm. not something that can happen because of uh, the nature of their government. It's not a parliamentary system where you could have a government of national unity. But the Mexico negotiation process could be the place where they can do some joint decision-making and get as close as they can to, to joint governance. So it's a real a real opportunity, again, would be a, a true shame if that was lost. So we hope that they do get back to the table soon. You know, Keith, in the Trump administration, we saw them sort of bumbling about with Venezuela and not being super helpful. What is this uh, still newish administration's posture toward Venezuela? Well, that's a good question. And then the key player in a lot of this will be the United States. So for the last year, the administration's been kind of cautiously aloof from much of this. They have allowed the space for things to play out, which has been very helpful. Um, so they have, you know, they, they were not dramatically opposed to the, this election, which most many Venezuelans wanted to participate in. They weren't dramatically opposed to the negotiations and have quietly uh, supported that. But for real progress to be made in the future, um, the U.S. would probably need to be more involved. Um, U.S. sanctions are the only real leverage that could create the conditions for progress beyond a, a certain sort of preliminary point in the year ahead. And uh, the U.S. would need to, to put those sanctions into play. So there's there's still things that the U.S. could do that would be impactful um, and, and would and allow for uh, kind of more progress in the year ahead. Seems like, uh, to say the least, not a priority. Is that third tier issue for the U.S.? Yeah, it's not something I think that the U.S. is sort of waiting for uh, an opportunity, um, something that's that, that, that gives them uh, sort of something obvious to do. I'm not I, I think it's maybe more of a question of creating that opportunity. So I think it's going to be a uh, a question of, you know, when they feel uh um, the the compulsion to be engaged, there is there are things that could be done. But in the meantime, even on the margins and behind the scenes, the U.S. has been uh, productively moving things in, in the right direction. Certainly not, you know, getting away from the, the all or nothing kind of scenario that we had in the past where it was either our way or the highway. There's there's a more allowance now for the the, the marginal improvements that can be made and that are available. Well, and I mean, considering how Hugo Chavez influ influenced our last presidential election. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I joke, of course. I know it's too early for a joke of that caliber, but I joke. Um, but but in truth, what what are the lingering effects of Chavismo in Venezuela? How uh, is he still a thing? 
I mean, not well, literally, but it's his form of government, his form of governance, having a moment. No, it, it is interesting. I mean, he, Hugo Chavez is still the most popular um, political figure in Venezuela by a very large margin. Mm. Um, the others are in the in the low teens. Guaido and Maduro are in the low teens, and nobody gets up above 15 or 16 percent. Uh, Chavez, the legacy of Chavez is still at 60 something percent. Wow. And I think I think what that means is that the Venezuelan people are still seized with with some kind of a system that you know takes care of the poor that that uh, elevates the marginalized, the previously marginalized people. So I think there's a kind of a vision there. Um, the problem is that the way it was executed has been absolutely destructive to the economy and to the political system, and it was set up to be very polarizing, which was enhanced, frankly, by the way that many in the opposition responded to it, and it became this all-or-nothing, you know, if we win, you lose. There's no room for an, for an opponent kind of a system. So it's it's created really, you know, these destructive conditions. But at its heart, I think you can peel away all of that and find a vision for the country that is shared by most Venezuelans. So, I mean, my hope is that they would be the first real social democracy in, in Latin America, the first country that would really kind of embrace the principles of sort of European-style social democracy and, and, and find that way to elevate the the poor with the robust resources the country possesses, but without the corruption and the polarization that has now been uh, part of the system for for these last nearly 20 years. Mm, Imagine that. Someday. We can imagine. Keith Mines is Director for Latin America at the U.S. Institute of Peace. Keith, thank you so much for joining me this morning. Thank you. Great to be here, Julie. Really wonderful to talk to you. Thanks. This podcast has been brought to you by the United States Institute of Peace and Sirius XM's POTUS, Channel 124.